the things that customers really want out of the product, i.e. the medicine, is not the most expensive thing. And so um, because of our supply chain, we've been able to have the economies of scale where that equation applies to us as well, with still maintaining quality. And so then what we need to do is innovate in packaging. And conveniently, or not conveniently, by design, our mission is to eliminate single-use plastic in medicine. And so if we can have a customer believe in their permanent bottle, yes, we might have less margin that first purchase because we want them to stick with us for life. But as they refill, we've created a compulsory packaging that's better for the environment. It's lighter weight. It's at scale, more affordable than even the packaging of are, are at the same price as possible. Bottles. So we're able to help bring those savings to customers. Welcome to the Glam and Grow podcast. I'm your host, Takara Suet, head of partnerships at Wavebreak. On this show, we talk with leaders of beauty, fashion, and lifestyle brands. We dive into their stories, lessons learned, and perspectives on how the industry is ever evolving. Subscribe and join us each week as we glam and grow. This episode is brought to you by Wavebreak. Most brands don't email right and it costs them. With ad costs getting more and more expensive, a world-class email and SMS program is essential. This is why Wavebreak exists. We're the premier email and SMS marketing agency that helps brands take their retention programs to the next level. If you want to learn more about partnering with us and how we can help, schedule a call with me today at wavebreak.co slash call. Joining me today on Glam and Grow is Russ Gong, co-founder and president of Cabinet. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thanks for having me. I am super excited to chat with you. We have a lot to talk about. So before we dive into the brand, tell me a little bit about your background and how you ultimately got here. Excellent. Well, again, thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm the co-founder and president of Cabinet. And to tell you a little bit about my journey leading up to Cabinet, I actually started my career in state and federal legislatures, where I helped work on environmental policies, community policies, and a lot of that was accidental at first. One of my my first projects that I worked on was a classic bag tax that they basically just gave to the new guy because it was uh, it was one of those laws no one wanted to work on. So I handled it, but let alone uh, and unbeknownst to me, that was actually my first foray into sustainability. Wow. Just thinking about how the plastic problem actually exists in the world, uh, and that was more than a, a couple decades ago. Um, from policy work. I transitioned into the private sector thinking that I really love the community aspects and the impact focus of policy, but it was too slow, not innovative enough. And so I transitioned into the private sector from there, where I led and ran a program at Deloitte Consulting, a large consulting firm, um, focused on scaling small businesses, nonprofits that at the time were sort of these innovative models that you can have profit and make a difference in your community at the same time. So created this very niche specialty where we would find a healthcare business in Central America, you know, a fashion brand in Eastern Europe and help them become more impactful, but also more competitive. And along that way, two things happened. One, I started to really understand and believe in the power of how startups can change industry, how businesses can change society. Um, and started to form my thesis of the way that I think business and community ought to be run. Um, but also on a personal level, I met with one of my really close friends and eventual co-founder. His name's Achal Patel. We met along the journey um, and ultimately formed a friendship that later became a, a really strong business partnership. 
But one more step before I joined and developed, uh, I started cabinet was I enlisted in the army. It was after a project that um, at Deloitte that was very uh, formative for me um, that made me think about, oh, I need to focus more on how do we address climate change? How do we address sustainability? And my interpretation of doing that was actually through the military. Um, so I took a pause in my professional career around 26 years old and enlisted in the U.S. Army with the goal of learning, you know, how do we face things like natural disasters, things like public health care crises? How do we face those um, and, and help people get led through them? And so um, that was an experience that then I eventually brought upon reflecting, do I go back to Deloitte? Do I bring my policy startup experience and military experience to something else and ultimately reconnected with my friend Achal to start Cabinet, which is a sustainable healthcare company? Wow, your background is incredible. It was really building the, random, the foundation right? of the, I'm sorry. A bit random, right? <laughs> I mean, it is random, but I feel like there is a cohesiveness to your background and it, I feel like it totally sets the stage for you being able to really build the brand. Um, so did you see this white space or, or how did cabinet come to be initially? Yeah. You know, as I mentioned, and yeah, you're right. I think from, from my personal experience, it, it wasn't random. It's really about me understanding, you know, how does the intersection of environmental sustainability connect with competitive business and, and, and building brands that really make a difference for the consumer plus the environment, but where we really came up with the idea of cabinet is the blending of my background with my co-founder's background. So to speak about my friend a little bit, Achal is a third-generation pharmaceutical entrepreneur. His grandfather built one of the first acetaminophen manufacturing operations, which is uh, the active ingredient in things like Tylenol, um, Dayquil. And he built the first operation in India, which is the backbone of cabinet health supply chain. So we operate- That is so as, incredible. As a startup, but with the supply chain of big pharma to be able to innovate, deliver products at the highest quality and at scale. And so where we really saw the opportunity was internally looking at you know, what's important to me, which is changing industries to be more sustainable. What's more important, what's important to Arch, which is advancing the way that medicine making is done. And we really combined those backgrounds together to form cabinet um, where we saw the opportunity in the market and with patients and customers is that as we look at the, the sustainable problem, medicine plastic is such a ginormous issue that has been addressed in a variety of different industries from household cleaning to fashion to even automobile is focusing on sustainable solutions, but, but healthcare hasn't really moved an inch. And so we saw that as a question of like, why is that the case? because both of us know that we can do something about it. And so we decided to dig in further. I'm curious being um, Atchel, which I'm trying so hard to to make sure I nail his name as Takara. I understand when you don't have the most uh, normal name. Um, did it take a lot of convincing of, you know, being third generation, his family to to get on board with this, this like movement, uh, especially considering you were disrupting, you know, an existing industry that, that his family was a part of. That's such a fascinating question. Um, you know, I, I'll start with a little bit of like what the problem is in the scale and then answer your question directly. But if we if we think about the problem on a sustainability standpoint, 
There are roughly 190 billion single-use plastic medicine bottles created every single year. Um, they are in our pharmacies, in our medicine cabinets, in supply chains, and the vast majority of them are not recycled. The vast majority of them end up in oceans, landfills, and eventually into our bodies. And as we think about that problem in itself, that is such a massive material problem, but where it becomes really concerning and why cabinet exists is it's becoming a healthcare problem. Today, through the form primarily of microplastics, we're starting to ingest this amount of waste into our bodies through either direct means of consuming it or starting to breathe it in the air. Um, you know, there's studies now that show that microplastics are present in even the breast milk of new mothers. And so fundamentally, it is a sustainability problem, but more concerning, it is a healthcare problem. So cabinet formed, we formed our company to show the industry that sustainability and plastic waste is a healthcare problem. People need to do something to stop it. So directly to your question though, the people who feel this the most, they, they hold the bottles, they move the supply chain, they order the bottles, are the actual manufacturers, the pharmacy owners itself, themselves. They see it more than anybody. I think what was um, exciting about our experience is that our partners and, and effectively family are so mission-driven on it. They just needed to be shown, hey, you can do this not by disrupting your business in a negative way, but actually growing your business. So as Cabinet grows, we support new innovation across the supply chain moving upwards. Um, and, and if anything, they're the ones that want this the most. They just need the courage to say, yes, this is possible. And that's what we provide to them. Yeah, that's incredible. Talk to me about the advantages of having this supply chain and, and how it expedited maybe or maybe not the process of building the brand. Yeah. To innovate in healthcare in a sustainable way, you one cannot do it without deep expertise of the medicine, the supply chain, and ultimately also the patient and environment. So I like to call it the diamond of sustainable healthcare and that you, you require four of those things and they have to be optimized at all four times in order to actually innovate in healthcare. So unlike what I mean by that is unlike uh, some areas of fashion and home cleaning to be sustainable, you can you know, kind of switch out materials and you, you typically for the most part, don't have as much regulatory burden on switching the materials. You just have to make it so that right. it, it's on the market and you have a vendor that's able to bring it to market. Not saying that it isn't hard, um, but I'm saying that uh, typically they don't have like the FDA or um, requiring that they meet certain standards. For medicine, every single medicine and every single pill count and every single type of packaging vessel has to be approved and quality assured by FDA standards. So, you know, to the first part of your question, you know, the supply chain is critical to have, you have to have buy-in across the entire supply chain in order to just start. Um, if if a, someone off the street wanted to bring and build a sustainable medicine brand, they can't do it because, um, well, they can't do it right off the bat because you uh, regulatorily aren't required or, or, or aren't allowed. And so number one, the buy-in of the supply chain allows us to innovate, um, to have insider connections on changing the packaging, proposing it and investing it with the FDA is like just step number one. 
Um, step number two, in terms of growing and the building the brand, it's it is in order to succeed long term, important to have strong unit economics and margins that allow you to scale. And so we might be able to create, as an example, paper pill bottles and by hand, but to really service and change the healthcare industry in its true fashion, we have to serve the 1.9 billion bottles that I talked about or replace the 1.9 billion bottles. So that's where scale comes important. And ultimately we have incredible partners that are effectively internal supply chain to scale. Yeah, I'm sure you've scaled very quickly, I would imagine. And I definitely want to dive a little bit deeper into scaling, but I'm curious when you launched, how did you initially decide like which categories, perhaps correct me if I'm wrong. I don't I don't know if that's the the proper terminology, but which which pills to make, which categories you felt affected people the most? Like how did you come up with focus on allergy relief and cold and flu and digestive health? Like what was your thought process? Um, or was that what was manufactured um in in the factory already? Yeah. You know, it's it's funny you remind me of um when we were thinking about creating the company that was a really important question. Um, That's and, a big and, question. Yeah. And, and and I think the first decision we had to make before the product assortment was really around the name and what is like our, what is our brand? Is it- I love the name. Is it sort of, um, is it, is it, you know, allergy boys? Is it pain relief crew? You know, like things like that where by, you know, starting to think about the vision of the brand- helped us understand what do we want the assortments to be. And, and I had a lot of heart to create the name cabinet because we wanted to not only be OTCs, not only be prescriptions, not only be supplements, but actually to be the full, full cabinet and be, be everything that is accessible to um, the home and to reimagine to start the medicine cabinet that is sustainable, healthy, creates health. Um, and then ultimately expanding that into to others. And so to answer your question directly, part of the decision process was we didn't want to be limited by SKUs or products. We wanted to be focusing on the mission. So what would be the most scalable platform to eliminate single-use plastic in medicine, supplements, and prescriptions? And, and that was ultimately cabinet. And so how we picked our first product was we wanted to cover the most common remedies on the face of the earth. So that if a person has a sneeze, cough, stomach ache, we had something that was able to to remedy that part of their body um, without being pigeonholed into just being one SKU, one product. But beyond that, there's obviously the market research required to scale the business and understand what are your most profitable products, what brings um, customers back as a refill model. Uh, and so, you know, some of those more classic assortment questions also uh, really came to the fore, which was, you know, market market share of different products, repeat purchase rates, how profitable we can make each SKUs. But for, for me, it was really, and Och was really about, let's make a vision that doesn't just stop with one medicine or one category. Yeah. As, as you've scaled, have you been surprised as you've like dug into the data of like, what has been most um, relevant or or popular, or has anything about um, digging into the data of which which product <laughs> has been most popular surprised you? That's that's so fun. You know, one of the things that has been surprising on a category level is 
Well, you know, for me, it's, 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 it's encouraging and exciting. Um, but there's two things. I think one behavior is that customers are willing to buy medicines and their health products proactively for something that's typically very reactive. So the typical buyer of a over-the-counter remedy is usually buying it when they need it. This is also where the vast majority of plastic waste comes into play because we, whether we're taking care of a loved one or ourselves, we're going to rush to that pharmacy, grab as many plastic bottles as we can, just to make sure that that cough, that headache, that loved one feels better. That's where the plastic waste comes in. Or if you're going to an airport and you forgot it at home, you end up buying a lot more than you need, et cetera. What's been interesting with cabinet is we've been able to create a proactive behavior for a reactive category. Um, because wow, that is are- such a great point. That is uh, that is brilliant. Like a, a proactive approach to a reactive, because it's true. Like I even think about myself, sometimes mm-hmm. I'll be like, oh, why didn't I buy that? Or why don't I have a supply? I I wait until I, you know, absolutely need something. So how are you, how are you communicating that message to your customers to be proactive, like you said? Yeah. You know, it's um it's a fun one we're exploring and it's very channel dependent. The larger message is just being taking pride in your health and taking pride in being prepared for your health. Um, we have a, a patient who uses a lot of our different products, who also um, is piloting one of our prescription offerings. And she has chooses so much medicine. Uh, and she shared this, this quote that I, I find really guiding, which is, she says, based on my conditions, I cannot exist without being a burden to the environment. And what she loves about cabinet is the ability to feel good about your health and display it on your medicine table or cabinet on your bedside table. So I think the first way we do that is through design, you know, create a bottle that is worth displaying that is worth, you know, taking a photo with and stacking and having some fun with it. And by creating that bottle and design that's permanent, refillable, elevated, it creates intention to the products inside of it, which creates um, mind share that allows someone to be proactive versus reactive. And, you know, we, we spend so much time making our home beautiful and giving us organizational delight. But when it comes to the medicine cabinet, it's this shameful place that we <laughs> dump it's like a oh, you know, vast no, collection of things that don't. No, it's horrible. I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I'm curious on how you like to store your products, but I've been through a couple of medicine cabinets around the country now, and um, yeah, I think to answer your question, that is that is the way we started, and then the rest of it is this idea of like optimism for the plastic crisis and the climate crisis that you know, we can get ahead of this. Um, and so, so much of it is not just about buying your medicine in advance. It's about like, let's take some initiative on doing a smarter and better value play for your basic products. And if you get a little ahead of it, you can also be better for the environment and community around you. And so I think some of that, some of that promise is attractive to get people into our system faster. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to dissect there, but I definitely want to talk about aesthetic and and brand design. Um, I think that's such a great point to talk about. I think to your your point as well. I think a lot of people just have accepted for whatever the reason that their medicine cabinet is probably going to be heinous, or that's just how it was for a <laughs> long time. Unless someone was like uber neurotic and like already started doing their own, you know, right, right. I sorting. I guess, but like that <laughs> seems like a lot of a lot of work. Like it's interesting. I feel like 
even for a lot of women, like their makeup and their skincare, like routine is like really on point, but the cabinet falls apart. It's such a great point. Um, so I'm curious, like what did the branding designing process look like? How involved were you guys with that process or did you sort of outsource or were you, were you meticulously involved in the design? Very meticulously. I mean, we have some wonderful, wonderful helpers and teammates internally and externally that, you know, when you, when you get stuck or you need some imagination, they come in um, and, and sort of change your entire view of the world. But we, you know, um, our team was extremely hands-on throughout of it. And again, it goes back to some of the, what was needed to bring this to life. So we worked with uh, really leading material scientists when it comes to the sustainable packaging. We worked across a variety of different sort of brand and design teammates just to think about how do we cover category? How do we live in, in the home? Amazing industrial designers. Uh, and then to bring it to life, it, it is, it's more in the category of research and development uh, for medicine by nature of um, the medicines that we keep in highest quality, et cetera. And so by nature of that complexity, uh, very, very hands-on to the to the degree of which we shape the bottle, the level of click and snap that we we hear in the bottle and to the degree of how we can stack them. So we were very involved. To tell you more about the process of how we did it, the first thing our I guess, you know, for those who are listening that haven't seen it and would love to get some in your cabinet, but how the system works today is it's a permanent refillable glass bottle that is made out of a hyper-recyclable glass that's frosted to show transparency, but also a level of elegance that makes a nod closer to design and, and beauty. It's designed in a shape of a squircle which is um, a functional shape choice allowing for stackability, but also allows for those, you know, um, the roundness so that it's not as harsh as a square. And it comes with a child resistant cap that has a snap lid that as you refill with our 100% uh, compulsive pouch made out of backyard compulsive materials, you can snap on a label to have drug facts, um, as well as be able to speak to a pharmacist or care professional when needed. Um, the process that we took to design that was kind of storming the everyone we knew's medicine cabinet, to be honest. <laughs> we went into, you know, I, uh, when I visit you in Naples, I, you know, I, it's now. <laughs> I'm scared. Yeah, no, I, yeah, <laughs> I got to fix it first, then you can come. <laughs> yeah, no, don't. We, love to, we want to see it completely unfiltered. But we, oh. you know, we, we have this habit now of going into, you know, loved ones' homes and just like immediately going to their bathroom and checking out. But but we, you know, first step was like understanding how do people currently live with their medicine and how do they play with it? And so that was like experience number one. And then number two is we created, if we could start from scratch, what type of system would we make? And it really doesn't make sense that we would have a bottle every single time. So we really leaned into refillability and then we had to play with, well, how do you then transfer lock code and drug facts over to the bottle. What materials do we pick? And that was when we really went deep into the material science and brought it to life. You, it, it seems like you guys were eight steps ahead and thought of everything. I'm curious, was that how you launched or were there a few iterations? The, uh, we had a lot of different iterations and learnings. I think the vision has always been clear. The, the, the speed of innovation for healthcare can be slow. So, you know, along the way, we, we tried a number of different things to 
learn what's really important to the patient as its customer to families. Um, you know, I'll share right that we we launched with over-the-counter medicines. We're we're launching uh, and have a number of supplements. And we also are building out a capability to bring our sustainable and refillable packaging to prescriptions. Yeah, that's that's incredible. I, I would have expected that would sort of be the the long-term vision. I definitely want to hear more about that. Um, but firstly, I'm curious who your ideal customer is. Like, it's so incredible to have a brand that essentially anybody could use. But I'm curious if it's re- resonated with a younger demographic or you've been surprised by also, again, analyzing the data of who your customers are, sort of where they are um, and what that looks like. For sure. Sorry, as you were thinking about the previous question, I was just thinking about all the different uh, trial and error products that we've had. <laughs> well, that actually makes me feel a lot better because you nailed oh, everything. Yeah, I'm like, we, wow, they hit the ground running. Like, no, no, on I would. I, I want to be very honest <laughs> on your show. We, I mean, we there. There were so many different bottles that, like, you know, when we put it into stability chambers, we're like, oh my gosh, is that like completely melted? You know, getting the right compostable material that you know is good for the earth is not easy to do for medicine so i'm sure uh, very transparent to your listeners as you guys are making your own there are so many reps and we're here for you when you need to have a shoulder to cry on (laughs) On, uh, okay i love that that's so that's so honest okay well we'll talk about be honest (laughs) yeah we we definitely fix it now and there's a lot we want to uh launch out but not not an easy route Uh, Even going into, even going into color combinations, like what was your, your thought process with those? And then we'll talk about the age demographics, but I mean, it's like, no, that's fine. I mean, I like it, like the product looks so good. Like it, it is like perfected. So yeah, I mean, I was curious, you know, Uh, how easy that was. I'll send you this, um, I'll send you this photo. My wife, you know, she has, she's so patient with me, but she, you know, she has, we have this entire basement full of cabinet prototypes um, <laughs> bottles and this, you know, the, the shapes and the colors. And, you know, there's one point, I think it took me five months to pick the colors and that's, that's probably generous. Like we were, um, and so, you know, medicine colors are really difficult because we have a brand association with particular uh, for some drugs and some we don't. And so we, but we also don't want to just be the, uh, the brand, stealing market share from the brand. So we don't want to just be like Tylenol red and now cabinets paint red. And then some things connote feelings. So when we think sleepy, we think purple. When we think cold and flu, we often think citrusy type feelings to make ourselves feel better. Um, and so the the color strategy that I wanted to, to lead in was category-based colors that made some sort of nod to the condition, but also were modern and could exist in the home permanently. And so that brief was really difficult. So, you know, it was just like, a, we had swatches all over the place. You had to print them and see what they're like. It was madness, but we, we, we love our little colors now. And, um, you know, I think we're, we're excited to just have, uh, have them out in, um, in the world. Yeah, you nailed it. Um, And I think the colors actually are sort of what inspired that question about age demographic. I feel like, you know, definitely with a real like millennial audience, perhaps I'm completely off like those colors and like that 
aesthetic really resonates. Like I feel like it would bother maybe millennials more to have their cabinet be so heinous, even though I I have that myself, my husband, like, I feel like that's what he would divorce me over. I'm not even kidding. (laughs) Nothing's (laughs) like, it's not organized, but the, the makeup and skincare is. Um, but yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious. Beautiful. (laughs) Sorry. And I've seen it. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, he, um, I'm curious, like who, who is like your target demographic or how, or has that surprised you who, who your most, um, common customers have been. If you listen to this podcast, you likely know that Shopify is the go-to e-commerce platform, helping millions sell to billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing in person at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. (laughs) Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. With Shopify POS, you can take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. The best part? With Shopify POS, effortlessly unite your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash glam, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash glam to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash G-L-A-M. Now back to this episode. Yeah, I, I think there's a, a couple ways to answer that. You know, for the the channel specific answer is that we uh, we really can sell medicine and products in any channel and it just comes to life a little bit differently. Uh, and so when I think about the direct to consumer channel, it is a little bit more modern um, by nature of like the online purchasing behavior, the the ways that we advertise through Instagram and TikTok or other. And so that's that's certainly a way that we connect with customers. When what we've been learning over the last uh, year, um, especially after getting um, some national airtime on Shark Tank, is that really a lot of these values of sustainability, design, quality of medicine, and, and ultimately value of like the product through savings are really universal across generations. So um, for us, you know, one, we just have to find ways that that message comes to life in different in different channels. Um, we're launching in retail later this later this year and very soon across two national retailers. And so just telling the story and having it come to life to appeal to the where where they index more on those particular values um, is ultimately how we get there. But yeah. to answer your question very directly, I think right now we, we skew uh, about 70% female customers. They're typically between the ages of 20 to 40. Um, but our goal is that we're able to serve the variety of anyone who wants to be have a better value product that's more sustainable and that's better designed. Yeah, I mean, you expanding into retail, like you mentioned later this year, uh, I think that will probably change and uh, hopefully your supply chain's ready to scale because 
the se- the second you're in there, it's going to be like there it's, it's a no brainer. Um, I will say for myself in, in researching the product, I think what I'm most surprised by is, is the value of the product. Like you mentioned through savings, the price point is significantly lower than what I would have imagined. So not only does it look 10 times better, the, the savings are significant. So talk to me again, how you're able to, to offer that pricing um, and, and what that means for, for the customer. Yeah. And we, um, when we launch in the next couple and we will, when we launch in retail, we have actually a, a couple of releases coming here soon of additional value. So larger, larger bottles, larger pouches, so that the value can be created through, um, effectively more product at a, at a price. So our pricing philosophy is to be able to price relative to the brand product. Um, but then have patients and customers save every time that they refill. Um, and that's required in our mind to be able to have customers commit themselves to sustainability. Um, how this is done at scale is if we look at the price of medicines, and this is across the board, the actual drivers of cost come with the packaging. Um, so when we end with effectively the the the, the margin target for these products. So if we just take Tylenol for an example, the economies of scale to create the medicine itself, um, to drive that from 100 pills to 200 to 300 pills is, is actually not the drivers of cost for the product. The drivers of the cost is like more packaging, getting the product to the store, marketing the product, et cetera. And so that's kind of crazy to me because that means that the things that customers really want out of the product, i.e. the medicine, is not the most expensive thing. And so um, because of our supply chain, we've been able to have the economies of scale where that equation applies to us as well, with still maintaining quality. And so then what we need to do is innovate in packaging. And conveniently, or not conveniently, by design, our mission is to eliminate single plastic in medicine. And so if we can have a customer believe in their permanent bottle, yes, we might have less margin that first purchase because we want them to stick with us for life. But as they refill, we've created a compulsory packaging that's better for the environment. It's lighter weight. It's at scale, more affordable than even the packaging of our, our at the same price as plastic bottles. So we're able to help bring those savings to customers. I know that's incredible. You know, as... And sustainability is such a wonderful thing, but in some industries, it's actually significantly more expensive. So do you feel like you're making sustainability, particularly in healthcare, which is probably the most important industry? I don't think anything is more important. Do you feel like you're making sustainability accessible? I really hope so. I really want us to. And I think the goal of, uh, maybe I'll answer it this way. If cabinet provokes the industry to think about sustainability in healthcare and try more things and you know be able to offer more customers more patients sustainable options that aren't just sustainable because they look cool or they appeal to millennials or they but actually are better then we would have accomplished the entire purpose of setting the company up um even if it's built across the industry and cabinet you know, cabinet is forgotten, right? That that would be the goal and the mission of cabinet is that we're able to spark discussion with healthcare to make sustainability more accessible. I think 
a little less philosophical and more direct is especially as we enter a recessionary environment, it's important. Money is hard and, and things are, when it comes to healthcare, like healthcare is tough, you know, and you, when it comes to taking care of a loved one, um, you know, the environment's not the immediate thing in your, in your head. And so, you know, by nature of the category, we got to make it easy for them. It's got to be the best option, meaning it's the highest quality. It, it's the most effective and it's the best price. It's got to be a no brainer. Otherwise we're not really able to help. So um, I think that's the way that we look at sustainability. It's less of a nice to have. It's a must have for both the in, environment and then people's wallets as well. Yeah. And then on top of it, you know, also more aesthetically pleasing. So you're really, you're really ticking all the boxes. Um, you bring up the recession, which I find really interesting as, as we move into a, a time where people are much more mindful about, you know, how they spend their money. How, how does it feel to be in healthcare during this time? Or even as you look throughout the rest of the world, um, healthcare is a lot more affordable through, throughout the rest of the world. So, I mean, you're really on this mission to like disrupt an industry that has been very overpriced for a long time. So how do you expect maybe some of your, your competitors to, to react? Yeah. You know, it's a, it's an interesting question. And I think there's, um, we'll have to do a second, second episode to really unpack <laughs> yeah. that together. And that was deep. I know. A couple things. Oh no, I love it. A, a couple of things when it comes to healthcare today. Uh, for me, I feel that there are different races going on that my biggest concern is that they're they don't talk to each other. And so what I mean by that is there's this race and this fight for accessible, quality, equitable healthcare. And then there's this race and fight for sustainable healthcare solutions. And sometimes they're at odds with each other. You know, we think about the proliferation of generic medicines. And that is incredible innovation to make branded medicines generic that they can be affordable for all is is something that's that helps people who can't pay for medicines that they need, whether that's OTCs, prescriptions, you name it. The challenge with that is that is a little bit of a race to the bottom PL, meaning in order to keep costs low, you got to cut costs. So what that typically means is scale. It means less opportunity for innovation. It means traditional products. It means plastic. So that race is one thing that is important, but often is it ends on the other side of the race, which is the race to ensure, uh, not to be too philosophical, but the, the race of the like survival of the human con- human existence. And you know, there's a shocking statistic that's floating around that post-pandemic, there are more plastic masks in the ocean than there are jellyfish. Oh god, and I think that's I have a, not heard that's, that. a, that's terrible. It's a fascinating case study when we think about can we blame anyone for not having the masks and racing to keeping people safe from the pandemic? Um, I think what it also brings to the fore is that the environment doesn't care if that mission is solved. And so I think for me, cabinet's role is to participate in both races and to, as best we can, bring the contestants together and make sure that we're thinking about it, not as converging routes, but as one. You know, that's ultimately what we need to do at the at the smallest level to the consumer. 
is we cannot make this the, you have to choose between access and the environment. It's a false choice. And if we, if we move fast enough and we create the right capabilities, we believe that sustainable healthcare is a team sport. In order to succeed, we have to bring the big pharma, the big pharmacies, the healthcare community into the races as well for, for bringing those together. So, you know, that's one big thought that comes to mind with your question. Yeah, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, let's, let's dive into a, a lighter topic. I, I think, um, yeah. <laughs> talk to me about your experience on shark tank. Was it, did it pan out the way that you had hoped? And, um, yeah, how, 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 what shark did you end up with? <laughs> oh curious. yeah. Shark tank was so much fun. I, I, we, it's our first time doing national TV. Um, and I'll share some funny stories. The first time that we were reached out to by shark tank, they have, they have scouting teams and we we got an email from one of their scouting teams saying, Hey, you know, love the product. You guys should think about applying. And uh and my co-founder and I were emailing back and forth and we said, it's like, oh, like, wouldn't that be hilarious being on Shark Tank? Like, you just could could not imagine it, uh, Takara, like of us being there. So we we sent notes back and forth, and I think we sent we started to send like memes and we even sang the baby shark song. Thought thought it was like someone was joking to ask us to apply. Yeah. You know? So we were just and the whole time we didn't realize we cc'd the producer on the on the whole email thread. And we were like, oh no. <laughs> and then the producer kind of came back and said, like, hey guys, like I really think you should give it a shot. So, you know, we, we responded very professional, professionally and jumped on the phone, like, oh, thank you so much. And you know, lo and behold, the show's actually super supportive of entrepreneurs and founders, which I, which was my experience on the show and the production side, very stressful to get the script down and like the, the set design, but it was really a, a positive experience on the producer side. Then they fly out to LA and, you know, you, you wait in this talent room and then they get you out on stage. And the final thing I'll share that I didn't know about Shark Tank was when you get out there, you, you know, those, um, those that hallway that they play the music in. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know they 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 so dun, dramatic. Dun, 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 dun. And then you walk out and uh, you have to stare the sharks in the eye for in silence for about a minute without you talking. <laughs> That's a long time. It's a long time, and so you know just so they get this panoramic shot. So that was that was a funny thing I didn't I didn't know about. Um, and then the actual pitch was great. I mean we. We talked to them for about 45 minutes to an hour and it felt very, you know, it felt very honest. They were, the sharks obviously have a lot of experience, but they were just trying to, trying to understand the business and unpack it. And that's edited into a six minute segment or seven minute segment. So our experience was we had a great conversation. Um, We ended up getting an offer from two sharks, um, which is Mr. Wonderful and the CEO of DoorDash, Tony Hsu. Um, and are still in conversations with them today about you know what's next. And then what was the what was the reaction um, the the day after it aired? Did, were sales like through the roof? I would imagine. Oh, it was bonkers. It was great. And I think for me, it was more of a of a reminder that you know the mission of Cabinet Health, um, and while we have a lot, a lot, a lot of work to do, is something that people are willing to to listen to, to be a part of. Um, I think you know, outside of sales and 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 growth, what was really memorable to me was having people from different parts of their communities reach out. So we had uh, an elementary school 
class reach out um, to young women that were doing a project on a plastic free pledge in the school in San Francisco. And, and they reached out to talk, chat with us. And, you know, ultimately that's things like that is why we really want to keep doing what we're doing. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, let's dive into marketing. Um, you spoke of different channels earlier. I'm curious um, which channel has been most effective in, in helping really build the brand. Um, and then, yeah, what what are you focused on? Is it social? What does that look like? And then the educational component as well. Um, which channel is most effective for you? Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what you're seeing across across businesses as well. You know, I, I think for us, we have not found one silver bullet channel um, because I just think of the way that people shop today. And so what's working for us is truly you know, an integrated marketing approach that is um, that is just across the board. And I know that's kind of a a, a cop-out answer, but it is true. Oh, I, 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 I think it's a very fair answer. What's been really effective is brand brand awareness that is affordable. So whether that's like earned media through Shark Tank or content creation, um, you know, I think influencer with a with quotations because there's so many different forms of that that drive brand awareness to <laughs> your site and or sales channels that then paid channels can be really effective at retargeting. So and I think gone are the days of uh, one channel force them through the funnel because the brand awareness, um, see the, the CPMs and the costs are just too high. So I think we've, we've completely abandoned the notion of, you know, just keep forcing them through a Facebook, Instagram funnel all the way through to conversion and, you know, try to try to optimize for that single funnel. We've played in a world of just larger brand awareness through effective brand investments, whether that's an earned media to being on TV shows like Shark Tank or making good partnerships with community groups, and then being able to retarget either through email or through through paid channels. And that's on the direct-to-consumer side. I think our big our big investment is what our consumers are telling us, which is be where I need you to be. Yeah, that makes <laughs> that so means, much sense. And that that means to us pharmacy, retail, uh, and then soon to be prescription. So um, that's that's really our big focus and where growth is going to come from. Yeah, I think you're in such a unique category from that standpoint. It's not like a skincare cream with a definitive before and after that you know really pops on TikTok. It's it's a really unique position. Um, so I think for you guys to be diversified makes a lot of sense. And then, yeah, I'm very curious to see how how retail's retail's going to do. Um, talk to me about your building your community and then how important it's been to build like a network of pharmacists and and how important it is to have their support. So critical. You know, we, we, founders often talk about their mission and they just kind of repeat it again and again and again. And I, I think that for our side, it, it is... Uh, it is impossible to do even move our mission an inch without the the community, the medical community, the healthcare community, and that in our spaces, pharmacists, pharmacists, technicians, nurses, doctors, um, nutropaths, et cetera. So, um, in terms of building our community, I think the first thing is a principle of just fully transparent. So, like I, along with my whole team, like we respond to our own customer service tickets. If there's a question that needs to be answered that our team doesn't know as a company, it'll just be directed to, to, to our leadership group. 
um, talking about the process of how we became sustainable and, and bringing people involved in the process. Um, and so community for us is like finding people who believe in the mission, know that we're not there yet and, and getting their help to, to accomplish that. Um, we've done that a lot with, by nature of just like having the product out and having our direct to consumer channels opening, opened and active. Um, and then beyond that, it's more a more formal partnership. So we're working with some some really great distribution partners, which will be announced uh, in the next couple months, as well as uh, brand partners that like are also mission aligned. So one thing that we're working on is a plastic free playbook, for example, that brings together other brands that have been sustainable and um, how those have come to life. Yeah, that's great. What has been the most challenging part of building the business for you and and maybe the most surprising? Hmm. Yeah, I think there's there are so many different challenges that are also just extremely, what's the word? I'm extremely grateful when you overcome them. I, I think number one, I have an incredible team and the team just like relishes in some of these crazy challenges. I remember right before we we launched nationally on Shark Tank, we had like a command center, you know, full of snacks and drinks and we're pulling all-nighters, kind of checking typos on the website and and things like that. And so there's there's always these just fun startup battles that we will always face. You know, doing something new. We're launching retail for the first time. Our team's nervous, but holding hands along the way. And so I think for me, there are just the challenges of like building. But those are ultimately the rewards and something that you you laugh with your team on. We have a system that's kind of like Boy Scouts of the Army or Girl Scouts of the Army, whatever it is. But we have little badges and patches that our team can, if you've been through a shared experience, we create these little patches that we hand out. And um, if you, you know, when we get through it together and accomplish it, they're little dinky little like so on patches. People probably love it though. Yeah, it's fun. The other thing that's been... I think from a founder standpoint, really rewarding um, and challenging is just to to make sure that your family is involved. So we have an 18-month-year-old son and another one on the way. And um, my wife also supports the business. So we're we're fully in. And I think it's, I remember going on one of our first trips with my son and we brought him to all our offsites and brought him to checking out suppliers. And that's been a, a challenge to make sure that you, know, you get to enjoy these challenges with them um, and that we're spending time together. But it's also been one of the surprises that it's been, I always thought you had to build your, you know, build your business by yourself and your family separated and get, have that work-life balance dynamic. I really love the idea of, you know, bringing your family along and showing them what's going on and they're a part of it. Um, so that's been a, a really pleasant surprise that uh, my wife's been incredible about. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, how do you manage your your time? Like, what is your best tip or trick for productivity and and time blocking? Like, in your even in your personal life, since you bring that up, like, how do you oh, manage? I gotta, I gotta, I gotta ask you what's working for you. I, uh... <laughs> I always, I try to even if I don't record it, I always ask everyone because I'm so curious. But I'm curious what you're gonna say. Oh my gosh, yeah. Let's swap notes here. You know, it's funny. I was just talking to um, my co-founder about this yesterday. Um, because it's it, it changes based off of the waves of the business. I think um, the president role is great. So much of the business is really tough because the um, the time allocation is quite different. So you know, never no day is this no day is the same. I do a, a Monday. I do a daily focus system, and then 
a project-based system. So Monday is focusing on strategic priorities where we'll look at the full week, we'll look at the month, we'll look at the quarter. And it's really just about target setting. How was the performance over the weekend? What are the big rocks? What's going to get us in trouble this week if we don't take care of it? Um, and setting priorities on on Monday. So that's that's a lot of like, that's a lot of deep thinking and aiming. Day two is around like leadership alignment and getting um, our leads focused on the same priorities that we set on Monday and, and having them you know, report back on their projects and then and or um, action some of the priorities that are net new from the Monday time. Wednesday is a creative day for me. And so it's brand product and just like fun stuff that is around dreaming of a design or unpacking a, a customer comment and how do we bring that to life. Um, Thursday is a special projects day right now that's really focused on building a plastic free pharmacy. So we'll dig into like just super nitty gritty about a particular topic. Uh, and then Friday, I typically do like external partnership meetings or just general wrap ups. You know, it sounds really nice. I, I think that's, I think that's how that, that works, but that is how it's calendared. Uh, and then the other overlay is like just ruthless project planning. So if we have a particular um, start to finish project, we, you know, we'll, we'll pepper that throughout the week. How do you do it? I mean, that's a solid schedule. I think, I think that's one of the most like uh, concise, but most people don't go that in depth. I actually think that was great. So I'm gonna oh, that. <laughs> I think it's great. Um, but I'm curious so because you're able to keep such a concise schedule. I feel like most people, they, they sort of have that intention and then they're pulled in a variety of different directions, but it sounds like you have such a strong team. I, I was just thinking and listening to you speak, like, do you think because you have such a strong mission driven brand that you've been able to attract talent that is so supportive and on board with the mission. And like you said, like those nights and that startup feel like everybody's, you know, part of the same goal. Do you think you've been able to, to really find that talent because of, because of what the brand is trying to do? Yeah. And, you know, I, uh, our team is incredible and we have, and my, my, my thought is that they, they, themselves have been work walking a journey that leads them to the same thing whether you know our head of brand and marketing who's been changing categories and um evolving categories you know as as she joins cabinets about like how do you evolve the healthcare category and believing in environment our head of sales has also done the same thing and is driving that and same thing with our head of digital who's been building healthcare technologies for a while and then, you know I can go on and on about you know, our ops team who's like built it. So I think for me, absolutely. The call to action is around sustainable healthcare. Their paths have been walking this direction as well. And so we, for me, it's, we have a concept called a founding team member. And so while they might not be founders like Ach and I, every single time they put effort into the business, they're building it. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm blessed by them to join. I'm honored that they, are attracted by what we've started, but for me, they're really building it as, as we, as, as we work together. Yeah. I love that. That's amazing. So for my final question, you've touched on this a, a little bit throughout this conversation, but what's next for, for you and for cabinet? Well, first off, it was so much fun chatting with you. I honestly wish we had more time and we can do the second episode to dig into more. Content. Yeah, we might have to. <laughs> Let's do it. What's next is exactly the same thing. Like our mission isn't done. 
until every pharmacy aisle, every hospital, every grocery store has some progress around sustainable packaging. And my vision is that there's no more plastic bottles and there, there are alternative forms of that, whether that's our compostable packaging, hyper-recyclable bottles, et cetera. So our, our big next step to do that is starting with launching National Pharmacy and helping transform the medicine aisle, launching a plastic-free pharmacy, which we can talk about soon, which is bringing that amber bottle into extinction. Um, and then from there, helping larger players transform the industry as well. You know, so th those are some really big next things. I think some some other fun ones is it's it's getting warmer, it's summer, and it's like or uh, spring effectively. And so, you know, we're excited to to get the brand out into the world and have have some fun with our patients, which is like traveling around, showing them the compostable patches, how it can plant into gardens and things like that. Yeah, that's wonderful. For anyone listening who wants to find out more information on yourself and cabinet, where can I direct them? I would love to take you to cabinethealth.com, which is www.cabinethealth.com. We also have an Instagram. And then my my email, I'm happy to put it onto your podcast and happy to reach out to anyone who's also thinking through these difficult topics. Thank you so much. Amazing. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Be sure to leave a review and subscribe to all future episodes. For show notes and resources mentioned, go to glamandgrow.co. This show was produced by Wavebreak. If you're an e-commerce marketing leader who wants to take your email and CRM program to the next level, schedule a call with me today at wavebreak.co. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you by Wavebreak. Most brands don't email right and it costs them. With ad costs getting more and more expensive, a world-class email and SMS program is essential. This is why Wavebreak exists. We're the premier email and SMS marketing agency that helps brands take their retention programs to the next level. If you want to learn more about partnering with us and how we can help, schedule a call with me today at wavebreak.co slash call.